Hello. Welcome to the Viridescent Circle. It is all Hallow's Eve, and I am rushing to get this letter to you in the morning of All Saints tomorrow. I hope you have a glorious feast day. The world has changed here, and I will complain about that in this letter. But then I'll talk to you about a tree I love and a word I love. The word is theosis. Isn't it beautiful? The letter's a little long, so you may have to be patient with me, but there are stories to tell in it. I hope you enjoy it. Dearest beloved, have you too come to the time of barren branches when structures begins to supersede adornment and everything becomes angular and edgy? Here, the frost and cold were late this year, and so color and vitality had not yet been quelled up until last week when I began this letter. On a gorgeous wet day, when the tamaracks were still flaming their last golden stand, the russet reds of the young willow stems in the ditch and the burgundy of the dogwood shrubs in the forest mixed with the still verdant emerald moss and it warmed the grayness of the day into such beauty. I imagine that this gray mingled with earthy undertones occasionally draped in white will be your world for the next several months, as it is for many in our beautiful country. But in the fierce, fickle world where I live, in one day, all of this low-lying loveliness was covered in white, and in fright the tamarack sheds their fire. The palette of our world has grown suddenly stark far too early. I wasn't ready for snow. So I am mourning, but in the midst of my miserable mourning, one friend faithfully colors the world with the subtle hues of viridescence, the spruce tree. These tall sentinels don't change considerably throughout the year. If you look closely in spring, you can perceive a subtle shift in color and vibrancy, and now I can see that they are very slowly letting brightness fade into a steady depth, but the change is minimal. Their constancy is what is remarkable, and I lean into it as we step across the threshold of the season. The spruce trees are the most reliable living things in our small world. The forest we love is no grand forest. It is brush. Half of it is falling. Half of it is just beginning. And the rest is standing at a jaunty angle. The only straight trees in the forest are the black spruce. They are the backbone of the place. The parental figures who nourish and shelter the other messy bits of existence around us. One spruce tree in particular has given me more than I can quite express in its solidity. The tree has acquired the name Grandfather, and I will tell you the story of why. A few weeks after my father died in 2020, 
a spruce tree fell in our backyard. It pulled down the hydro wires and almost created a catastrophe of fire. We had the wires fixed, and Steph cut up the tree, and all was put back into order. Then we did what we were taught as children to do. We counted the rings to find the age of the tree. The tree was 83, the same age as my father when he died. Now the home in which we live right now was built by my parents. It was a family cottage where my father presided as patriarch and my mother as matriarch sheltering us all. This tree on this land, so deeply connected to my parents, had faltered with my father's failing. I felt its kinship with him. At the base of the tree, we discovered what ailed the tree. The inside of the trunk was like wooden lace, full of delicate holes. My father's mind was also lacy, full of delicate holes in his memory and capacities as a result of dementia. The tree and the man reflected one another. My father had been a strong root in my being and a green shelter in many storms. Without him, I was left shaken and uncertain and frayed. The tree fall in the backyard echoed in me and made me pay attention. And so I realized the presence of the one we have call, come to call grandfather in our small forest shortly after this time. The tree towers near the southwestern turn on the forest path. It is taller than all the other trees in the forest and very straight. It is healthy, green, and symmetrical. I was drawn to it first by the sense of space around the large spruce. It seemed alone, yet its feet were surrounded by the young and the lush. About a hundred feet away, another spruce stood just as tall and straight, but dead, so dead. That tree's deadness put me in mind of my father's death as everything did in that time. So I turned my eyes back to the living spruce behind me to shift the thought. I saw that it was at least twice as wide as the tree that fell in our cottage yard. I could not get my arms around it. This was good. The largeness of the tree gave great gifts. Because the tree is older than my father, it stretches beyond him. It has stood through so much, so much growing and dying. Two world wars, extraordinary technological advancement, the Great Depression, the residential schools, the Spanish flu, and now COVID. It had stood through all of it. So many cycles of the year, so many funerals of so many fathers and children. It stood straight and beautiful. It swayed in the wind, showed its green against the bright blue sky, and soaked up the sun. It stood 
and somehow communicated a work of mercy to me. Slowly, without any anxiety or strain, simply by being itself and standing there. In the midst of COVID, we stood around Grandfather with a group of children from the inner city, many who were in the midst of great suffering in their families while also being in the midst of a pandemic. We all stood there for a long time with our hands on Grandfather. Each child told Grandfather what they were worried about. We left it there with this tall, tall, strong tree. And there was goodness there for us. We could lean and Grandfather could carry with us. What strikes me about trees and other vegetation is that they can handle this leaning, this leaving our worries there, and continue to do what they are created to do. Their whole being just pushes towards fulfillment. Yep, they are profoundly affected by their circumstances, by the soil in which they exist, by their access to sun and rain, by the prevailing winds, by the work of birds and animals, and by the appetites of humans. But a tree never thwarts its own fulfillment. It never gets in its own way. We humans often get in our own way. Our egos are rather sensitive, and we spend much of our day-to-day existence protecting our egos from assault, making sure that we are safe, that we are secure, worrying about it. We worry and we fret and contort ourselves into all sorts of wild shapes in order to prove something to someone or in order to make ourselves attractive to something. We are trying to remain what we understand as safe and in control. But trees are free of ego needs, just as they are free from choice. They naturally move towards flourishing. We cannot be trees, and trees are not saints. But they can teach us something of what it is to flourish. Just like trees, we are not in charge of our circumstances. We do not get to choose many, many things that profoundly affect the course of our lives. However, we are invited in all circumstances to be what we are given to be. To relinquish our profound concern for keeping our ego safe and to put down roots as far as they can go in search of water and to turn towards the light as often as possible, and to bend as best we can in the wind. This talk and thinking of stalwart beings like trees puts me in mind of a story I read long ago. Eugenia Ginsburg wrote an acclaimed memoir of Stalin's reign of terror in two volumes. One was called Journey into the Whirlwind, The other was called Within the Whirlwind. In her memoir, she tells the story of a group of peasant women from Baronish, Russia, 
who were sent to a Siberian prison camp during the Great Purge of the late 1930s for practicing their faith. They were solid, hard workers. They had little fuss in them. These strong women consistently helped the rest of their prison campmates meet their daily work quotas, and this was life-saving for all who worked in that section, especially for those who were less strong, more fragile in every way. On Easter Sunday morning, one very, very cold spring, the peasant women refused to work. The women promised that they would make up the day's work three times over if only they were allowed to worship and not to go against their faith by working on Easter. The women's request was disregarded, and they were forced out of their hut with the butts of rifles and sent to the forest to toil. But when they arrived, they did not work. They piled up their tools and stood together. They began to sing hymns. The soldiers were furious and frantic, threatening and sending shots into the air. They forced the women to take off their shoes and socks and stand in the icy water which surrounded the worksite. It did not stop their worship. They're in the middle of the cold forest. Standing barefoot on ice, they chanted their hymns of praise. The non-religious women in the section, including the author, yelled at the guards, begging them to leave these women alone, but to no avail. Everyone ended up in the punishment cell that night. The non-religious spent the night arguing together about whether the religious women's behavior should be regarded as unenlightened fanaticism or as fortitude in the defense of conscience. They could not decide. Ginsburg reports with incredulity that none of the peasant women got sick from this ordeal. The next day they returned to work and filled their quota, 120%. Ginsburg realizes later on in her life something she and her non-religious friends had missed that night in their argument. The thing that makes this story image so powerful she realizes that it wasn't unenlightened fanaticism, nor was it fortitude and defense of conscience that made these women stand and sing that Easter morning and every other Easter morning of their lives. It was an act of simple faith. To have faith is to know who you are, not in the sense of being sure of exactly what you should do with your life, or exactly what your character is, but rather to know that which is the form of your life and that which is the source of your life. To have faith is to seek at all times to live like you are created and to respond to the call of your creator. It is to reach towards the sun and to reach your roots down into the earth and to bend in the wind. These women were simply doing that. They worked with dignity to do their best to the best of the ability in the worst conditions. And on Easter Sunday morning, they refused to work. 
because they were called to worship the risen Lord, in whom they had been formed, and whose life and love was the source of their lives, and greater than their circumstance. These women were the still green plants of being in the winter of a prison camp. The image of the peasant women, standing in the forest, their dresses loose over their once muscular, thick bodies, heads covered, slightly bent towards one another, cold blue feet, stamping in time with the melody they are making. These images have been burnt into my mind. I can hear the sound of their voices, thick harmonies and guttural Slavic consonants coming from their throats. These women and this story are like a great tree against the sky, helping me to believe that something is true and possible. To be a saint is to live in such a way that all of the circumstances of your life become transparent to God. It is to live in such a way that all of the circumstances of your life become resplendent with love. Many, many saints experience great darkness and doubt in their lives. And no saint has ever been spared the suffering which all humans encounter in their lives. Many saints make mistakes, and the life of the saint is not a perfect life. Sanctity is not perfection, it is theosis. Theosis, a word which means a life illumined by God in Christ. It is a life into which God has come down and through which the Godhead shines. It is the love of God in Christ that makes this possible because the life, death, resurrection of the person Jesus Christ is what makes sainthood possible. Saints are not those who have found a way to ascend to God. God has come down to us. Saints receive the God who comes to us and lets God shine. God the Father sent God the Son to gather up the created world into the love which God the Holy Spirit reveals. In this gathering of the created world, God the Son, in his life, death, and resurrection, brought love into everything that is good and shone light and love through everything that is evil in the created world. The light and love of God are now available and present everywhere at all times. Only because we are loved in this way by the God who has come down is it possible for broken human lives to be made chandeliers of the divine. Saints are those that open up to light. Every closed door in their being is unlocked and unblocked through arduous, arduous, life experiences, and disciplines. All that is a barrier to the light is removed. 
and therefore all the available love that exists can permeate their being. Saints, through a lifetime of hard purification and attentive loving reception of reality, get out of the way of themselves like plants do. They become what humans are supposed to be naturally, reflections of the image of God. The life of the saint, in doing this and becoming this, in becoming this place and reflection of light, becomes so spacious that we can all come into its shelter. We can come under the saint's branches and be nourished by the source of the saint's life within that shelter. This is why the stories of the saints are so potent for us, why they work light within us. Eugenia Ginsburg and all of her non-religious cellmates were sustained and inspired by the religious peasant women from Voronezh, Russia, because of this theosis in them, this transparency to God. The prison camp women were sustained physically and spiritually in the presence of these women. This is important to notice. Saints work from an energy that is not anxious or self-driven. They work from a source beyond themselves, which makes incredible work possible. So saints can do incredibly hard things naturally. And furthermore, miracles can happen through them. Now we don't know if all of these women in this prison camp from Voronezh, Russia, were all saints. But in that moment, they let theosis happen by simply being what they were meant to do. And just so, it was God who was acting through them and gave them the power and the energy and the source. It came through. It wasn't made up by them. It was unblocked light. Most of us are not ready to open to become saints. There are many reasons. Most of them revolve around fear and shame and all the other things of life. There are many hurts and many things that keep the doors of our hearts closed. And often our egos feel unsafe and we think we need to defend them. However, even if we're not ready to open up completely to theosis, we can come and stand in the presence of saints and see what happens to us in their presence. And that is the point, the Feast of All Saints. The Feast of All Saints is that particular moment in the year where we intentionally place ourselves at the veil between this life and the next. On this day, we stand and gaze through that veil at a great crowd of witnesses illumined by God. We pay attention to this massive crowd. 
It's like going into a great forest where we look up and we are overwhelmed at the size and beauty of the trees. When the veil is thin, we can see them all and we can stand with beings whose branches stretch up to the heavens and whose roots reach down into the gift of creation and redemption. When we look up, we feel the joy of reaching for the sun and our being begins to lift And when we perceive their trunks and the big roots that they have, we feel our own roots go down into the earth with a strength we did not know we had. Whatever the circumstances of our existence at that moment, we are being formed in the presence of this great forest of witnesses. And a door can open within us and we might let ourselves flourish by receiving even for a moment theosis the illumination of god in christ and then we might go out into the world unwittingly lit with grace and a passerby might perceive the lights in our breasts and the fire might spread beloved with every passing year of my life these stories these saints And these trees woo me to the light. And today I'm just hoping that they will exercise their pull on you as well. I wish this for you. I pray this for you. And I send you love from a white, white world. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Viridescent Circle. I am grateful to Edmund Pinto for the beautiful music, to Stefan for the protection help and all the other help you offer, and to Peter Bullerwell for making things run very smoothly. Have a beautiful day. <laughs>